Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Since the overthrow of the genocidal dictator Omar al-Bashir in 2019, Sudan has been led by a transitional governing council made up of civilians and the military. And on Monday, October 25, 2021, the military purged the civilians from their leadership positions, including arresting the Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak. On the line with me to discuss this coup and what comes next is Cameron Hudson. He is a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former chief of staff in the office of the special advisor to Sudan at the U.S. State Department. We taped our conversation live using Twitter Spaces. This is a new platform that Twitter has rolled out, allowing audio conversations to take place on its platform. This is the first time I've used Twitter Spaces for the podcast, and I must say I was deeply impressed by the engagement. Several hundred people joined to listen live, and I think it is a great platform to discuss and analyze breaking news like this. I'll definitely be doing it again. Follow me on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg for the next live taping of the podcast using Twitter Spaces. I have no idea when we'll do it next, but this was fun and interesting. All right, now here is my conversation with Cameron Hudson of the Atlantic Council. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Welcome, everyone. My name is Mark Leon Goldberg. I'm the editor of UN Dispatch and host of the Global Dispatches podcast. Today's conversation is being recorded as a live taping of the podcast using, for the first time, Twitter Spaces. I'm joined today by Cameron Hudson, who is a non-resident senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and former chief of staff in the office of the special advisor to Sudan at the U.S. State Department. I've been following Cameron Hudson's work on Sudan issues for many, many years, and I'm thrilled that he is joining us today to help make sense of this apparent coup in Sudan. So to kick things off, Cameron, can you just walk us through what happened in the last 24 hours in Khartoum? Like, what do we know about what's happened? Sure. Well, what we know is uh, in the early morning hours, uh, Khartoum time, uh, so late in the evening uh, in Washington yesterday, um, the military began uh, arresting uh, civilian members of the um, Council of Ministers, the, the, the civilian cabinet um, in the country. Uh, namely, they, they detained the prime minister, Abdullah Hamdak, um, and a number of other ministers in his cabinet. Uh, shortly thereafter, we learned that the military had begun deploying 
uh, at key locations around the city. Uh, shortly thereafter, the uh, internet in the country was uh, shut down or at least uh, considerably slowed down. Um, and then uh, thereafter, the military head of state, uh, General Burhan, uh, Abdel Fattah Burhan, uh, made a, uh, a public address to the nation on national television, essentially suspending um, the transitional uh, constitution, uh, dissolving the sovereignty council of which he was the, the, the chairman, um, and uh, calling for instituting a state of emergency in the country, which gives uh, himself and the military uh, broad powers uh, to respond to um, to crisis and protests. Uh, almost immediately, there was a call by uh, civilian actors in the country uh, to mobilize uh, in the streets. Uh, so within minutes of the arrests beginning, uh, even before the, the military addressed the nation, um, there were protesters already uh, taking to the streets of, uh, of Khartoum, especially uh, setting up now roadblocks, um, and engaging in what they're calling civil disobedience. So that's essentially, uh, you know, sort of the last the last uh, twelve hours or so. And I've seen some reports, at least, that the military has unleashed violence against some of these protesters. Is that correct, to your knowledge? Uh, those reports uh, seem to be confirmed by the the, the Sudanese Doctors Association. Uh, at least uh, three killed, uh, as many as sixty wounded, is what I've um, is what I have seen thus far. But obviously, uh, you know, it's hard to ascertain exactly um, the state of things right now, given uh, the difficulty with uh, with communications. And what was the ostensible justification given by the coup leader, General Abdel Fattah Burhan, for undertaking this action? Well, again, he has he has placed, I think, the responsibility for the failures of the transitional government thus far uh, squarely on the civilians, not necessarily on uh, on the prime minister, but on you know the, there's essentially two groups of civilians that we that we often talk about or conflate in Sudan. One is the the civilian cabinet, uh, but the other is this forces for freedom and change, this sort of broad based coalition of of uh, political parties. Uh, unions, student groups, um, who were really the driving forces behind the the protest movement in in, in 2019, and who largely remain outside of government, um, but who are themselves, uh, you know, parties to and signatories to um, the the 2019 constitutional charter. So, um, you know, he is he is essentially. Uh, made the argument that it is those forces uh, who are responsible for the delays and implementation of uh, of the constitutional charter because of the infighting, because of the corruption, because of um, you know their inability to be uh, to be organized. Um, that he felt the need to take this action. Um, ironically, in defense of the revolution, in defense of the constitutional charter. So essentially the military is, 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 is framing this as, as their effort to, to salvage what's left of the transition, even though I think many of us on the outside would view this as the transition's death knell. So based on, on what you've just described, it seems that to a large degree, the, the coup that happened today can trace its roots to the 
unstable political system that was created in the wake of the ouster of Omar al-Bashir, who, you know, I'll remind listeners, ruled the country from, what, like 1989-ish up through 2019. Uh, Can you just kind of take us back to 2019 and explain how it was that Bashir was ousted from power and describe the transitional council that that, that force, that, that sort of political coalition of civilians and military leaders that took his place upon his overthrow in 2019? Uh, sure. So I think there's been, um, you know, there was, a, there was a mounting frustration in the country, both politically, but also economically um, in late 2018, early 2019, um, that put uh, hundreds of thousands of of people into the streets, and I think for the first time, which made 2019 unique in in Sudan's political history, it was um, a real coming together of disparate uh, professional groups, um, uh, regional groups, religious groups. I mean, it was a really unifying uh, theme across the country that there was just um, enormous frustration in the. Uh, the economic failures of the Bashir regime, uh, the political repression. And so they, they took to the streets and essentially didn't leave. They, they hosted a sit-in that lasted for months outside of uh, the presidential palace and the, and, and the army headquarters um, until uh, the military essentially stepped in and removed Bashir from power. And so, um, you know, I, I view that now um, as I viewed it then, which was, uh, something more akin to a tactical retreat for the military than a kind of strategic uh, victory. And I think that that's, you know, of course, playing out right now, because if, if we look back, um, the military itself hadn't really changed its uh, stripes when it removed uh, Bashir, had not really, um, you know, seen the light and decided that it was going to, you know, kind of embrace uh, civilian democratic rule. It, it, it removed Bashir because Bashir was the pressure that was building on, he was the representative, the face that was building, um, but that pressure was on the military government um, that he had put in place. Um, so as the tensions continued to mount, even after Bashir was removed, uh, a coalition of countries stepped in to try to mediate uh, a negotiated settlement between the civilian forces protesting for change in the country and the military, which was trying to, um, you know, trying to hold on to power and also, um, you know, hold the country together in some respects. And so um, that negotiated settlement uh, resulted in this constitutional charter, which created um, a three-year transitional government whereby civilians and the military would, would share power on what they called the Sovereignty Council, essentially the executive body um, of the country, um, and that there would be, in parallel to that, a, a technocratic civilian uh, cabinet, which would propose, essentially, uh, reforms to the country's um, you know, body of laws um, that would be then approved by the, the Sovereignty Council. And I think what we have seen over the course of, uh, of the last two years is a real failure of that sovereignty council to act in the way it was intended to act. So you see, you know, you see the civilian uh, technocratic government proposing uh, reforms, trying to bring about the reforms that are necessary, and and hearing stories within within the sovereignty council chaired by the military uh, that they were not bringing these issues to a vote or to a decision, uh, and and essentially kicking the can down the road of any reform effort that would see the the power. Uh, of the military curtailed in any way. So, I mean, so it seems like 
you know, despite the fact that Bashir, this awful genocidal dictator, was ousted from power in 2019, like the fundamental dynamic remained in which you have the old guard represented by the military being challenged by the civilians. The military never really gave up their power. And now, you know, fast forward to, uh, you know, today. And as, as you just said, they are now just reasserting themselves and no longer willing to make the compromises with the civilian uh, leadership and, and the you know civilians that took to the street as well. Is that like a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I think that what the military has been trying to do is, um, you know, is sort of have its cake and eat it too. It's been trying to uh, avoid the very harsh uh, reforms that would see its power and wealth uh, curtailed in the country while trying to give the outward appearance that it was going along with all of these reforms and going along with this transition process. Um, you know, and trying to avoid the kind of outsized international pressure that was bearing down on them. And I think they just, they, they, they ran out of time. I mean, what we have seen, what the, what the cabinet has been complaining of is a sort of death by a thousand cut scenario where it wasn't a coup, but it was, you know, hundreds of different, you know, slow rolling um, uh, techniques that the military was using to avoid a kind of a confrontation. And I think it just, it, it ran out of the political space. It ran out of the time um, and it was facing uh, undue pressure. And, and, and that's what I think what, what, what triggered this move today. So we are speaking at about 5.15 Eastern time on Monday. The coup happened, you know, just uh, really a few hours ago. Uh, the prime minister is being held as seemingly incommunicado, uh, detained somewhere. What have been some notable international reactions thus far to this coup? Well, I think we shouldn't be surprised at all by the international reactions we've seen because Let's not forget that, you know, approximately two weeks ago, there was this aborted coup attempt in the country, which I think many of us interpret really as a trial balloon uh, that the military was using to kind of gauge what the likely international and even domestic response would be to just such an effort. And we saw two weeks ago, as we are seeing today, a very swift and a very serious international condemnation. And two weeks ago, actually this week, we saw over a million people once again take to the street across the country demanding civilian rule. So I think what's interesting about um, the international response, whether it is from uh, the regional body uh, African Union, uh, whether it's the the more local um, EGAD uh, regional grouping, whether it's the EU uh, of the United States, the various uh, you know international actors to include uh, you know to include even some of the Gulf states, widespread condemnation of this um, of this of this move, and I think that the, the the military took this action knowing full well that this would be the the response. So I remember at the time in 2019, uh, as the transition was being formed and was happening in Sudan, you know, Sudan became a venue for at the what at the time was a real kind of proxy battle between the Gulf states uh, who were supporting different sides of this transition. Uh, are you seeing anything in terms of uh, Gulf state um, reaction that is indicating to you whether or not some states like the UAE uh, were are supporting this coup in any way? 
Uh, well, there's certainly a lot of speculation. There's been there there's been no explicit statements. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm just spe- I'm, I'm 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 asking you because of that speculation. I've I've seen such speculation. But you're the expert. Yeah. No. I mean. No. I mean the 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 Egyptians and you know Gulf state actors have have made no secret of their uh, um, skepticism that in a country as divided and as fractious and as uh, politically unstable as Sudan, and frankly, as strategic as Sudan is um, in the Horn of Africa, um, that they have expressed great skepticism of any civilian's ability uh, to govern the country um, and to maintain uh, stability and to maintain the, the economic and political interests those powerful nations have in Sudan. So there has been always great, uh, great skepticism, I think, on the U.S. side. There's um, there's a belief that given the fact that the military knew really explicitly what the immediate consequences to a coup would be. I mean, Jeffrey Feldman, our UN envoy, our U.S. envoy to the Horn of Africa, was meeting with uh, General Burhan only hours before uh, this coup attempt started mm. um, and explaining to him, apparently in great detail, what kind of assistance would be suspended, what the consequences would be from the United States if he pursued this path. You know, I think there's a there's a reasonable working assumption um, that he he weighed what was at risk um, and was able to offset it, perhaps by promises uh, from 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 other countries. We we just don't know, but there is a sense that. Uh, given that he knew full well that, as the State Department announced this afternoon, that more than $700 million in U.S. assistance to Sudan would be suspended, um, and that that would have an immediate impact on the economy, that you know he, he either felt that uh, the risk of staying in this kind of forced marriage, as I've called it, uh, with civilians was was too great, or uh, the the pain that could be inflicted from a suspension of U.S. assistance could be offset by uh, promises of assistance from from other from other places. We don't know, but clearly that calculation was made, and you know U.S. threats and warnings were were apparently discounted. So. We can assume, I suppose, that many that other countries, other entities, maybe the European Union as well, might also uh, suspend aid. That you know, the hammer is going to come down on on uh, this coup regime. Uh, do you see any opportunities for the international community to help support and like reversing the coup and getting the democratic transition back on track? I mean, it, it feels very unlikely at this point. Again. You know, this is this is not a miscalculation. A lot of times you, you see a coup and you think, oh, well, they've overextended or they've mis- miscalculated or they, they misread signals, uh, you know, that were that were being sent to them. Um, and I think that there's you know, it, it, it is impossible to fathom that they have misread the signals, uh, that there was, you know, a, a glimpse uh, of hope that the United States and other Western actors would somehow turn a blind eye to this or, or be willing to, to tolerate it. Um, you know, that's, that's an impossibility in my view. And so, um, you know, the, the fact that they took this decision, 
knowing full well what the consequences were, suggest to me that they are themselves viewing this as an existential threat. Um, that 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 the threat of uh, of, of of civilians, um, you know, denying them their control over the economy, over the the levers of power in the country, um, of losing their ability to perhaps uh, prevent their own. Uh, referral to the ICC or investigation of crimes that they may have committed in the past. I think that that fear has completely outweighed uh, the fear of any likely consequences coming from the international community, and that's what's caused them to act. Which makes me think that it's gonna, it's going to, it's going to be there now, um, and it's going to be very difficult to to, to walk this back. Uh, lastly, in the coming days or weeks or even months, are there any events or indicators or inflection points that will suggest to you one way or another how this might evolve? What will you be watching for? Well, I think that the most likely scenario in my mind right now is that you know the military is going to um, try to step forward and you know um, carry out the tasks that were not being implemented during the transition. So uh, they will likely try to seat the legislative council. They will uh, pass some of the some of the reforms that they have been been sitting on as a as a way to demonstrate to the international community, you see, we were not the ones that were were impeding the the progress of the transition. It was in fact all of this uh, you know, this rabble of civilian politicians that was impeding progress. And now that we're in charge, we're going to fully implement this. They've already announced that they're going to move up the date of the election, uh, that they are going to, um, you know, carry out some of the some of the elements that people were complaining about having not been implemented. So I think they're going to try to be, you know, slightly more Catholic than the Pope going forward. Um, but I think that that's going to be a, a veil um, to mask their true intention, which is, my guess would be to stack these institutions with people who will continue to protect their interests in a way that they couldn't count on the last government to, to do. Um, so this is really, uh, even though they're kind of wrapping themselves in the banner of the revolution and trying to, um, you know, proclaim uh, that they are the true defenders of the revolution, they are in fact, uh, you know, doing just the opposite by 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 throwing out the civilian government, by suspending uh, key elements of the transitional um, constitutional charter, they are in fact, um, you know, really destroying this transition. Well, Cameron, thank you so much for your time on what I know is an insanely busy day for you, a big, you know, historic day in Sudan, not for the right reasons, uh, but thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, and to, it looks like the several hundred of you listening live right now on Twitter spaces. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This is the first time that I've recorded an episode live using Twitter spaces. You can access the Global Dispatches podcast by following the links in my profile. Uh, and I'll post some links as well to Global Dispatches, World News That Matters. It's available pretty much everywhere you can get podcasts, even in Sudan. All right. We'll see you next time. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you all for listening and thank you to Cameron Hudson and thank you all who participated in the live taping. I will experiment with opening this up for more audience participation in the future. I think it's a great platform. I'm excited to experiment with it with you. And I do think I know what to do next time to make the audio sound a bit better. So stick with us. Thanks. See you later. Bye.